Hello, legends. You're listening to the Off-Road Performance Coach Podcast. If you want to be a beast on and off the dirt bike, you have come to the right place. All I ask from you is if you gain some value out of today's episode, please give it a share and tag me on your socials or your Insta story. I'd be super grateful if you'd share the love. Let's get stuck straight into today's episode. Hello, podcast legends. Absolutely heart-wrenching situation in the Supercross on the weekend. I'm a big Supercross fan, love watching it. Was absolutely shattered to see Eli go down the way he did, rupturing an Achilles. Terrible injury to have to go through. Definitely not a common injury. There's a lot of chatter out there about it on the social medias. Thought I'd do a quick little episode, give you guys some tangible items that you can make sure you're including in your program to ensure you give yourself the best chance of avoiding that. Like we always say, you can't bulletproof the body fully. You can't always avoid every single injury. The goal with our off-bike training is to stack the cards in our favor to ensure we give ourselves the best chance of avoiding injury in those certain situations. I know every person out there that rides on the arches of their feet is just rubbing their hands together now saying, I fucking told you so. Told you when you ride on the balls of your feet, you can blow your ankles out or snap your shit. (laughs) I've had so many people say that to me, um, that it's dangerous and you're going to be at greater risk. I don't think that's true. These guys are out there doing especially in Supercross, like the amount of forces they are putting through their ankles week in, week out. That's the first, I'm sure it's happened before, but that's the first time I've heard of one of the pro, a pro rider actually rupturing their Achilles. So for us mere mortals, especially guys that race off or just ride off road, there's no way in the world we are going to put anywhere near that amount of force through our ankles uh, and our Achilles complex, the calf complex, riding off-road. It's just not going to happen. Like OJ in one of those jumps that on a supercross track, that's like as extreme as you can get. And they got there, those guys are out there doing that every single weekend. And it's not like it's a common occurrence that, that ankles are getting exploded and Achilles are snapping left, right, and center. Obviously, Eli was a little bit unlucky i got absolutely no idea what the guy does for his off-bike training as he obviously plays his cards pretty close to his chest. However, I'm pretty sure he'd be crushing a pretty solid strength program. It's pretty common knowledge that Eli is one of the toughest competitors out there. You can tell by the way he rides that he's super strong on the bike. He muscles it around. So I would suspect that he's got all his um, boxes ticked in his off-bike training program. Uh, however, he obviously got unlucky on the weekend and it was just too much for whatever reason, whether it's wear and tear, overuse, whatever, 
the the reason might be. That situation, too much force for his Achilles to handle, and we all know the result. So that I did that little podcast the other day about myself, OJ in that jump. Like that was a pretty extreme situation for myself. Like OJ in a massive tabletop in fourth gear to the absolute flat. Shout out for my Liat boots in that situation. The Liat boots for the win. The 5.5 Liat boots do have a, they call it a flex lock, I believe, where it has, it's different to the Alpine Stars uh, version. It's actually on the back of the boot and it stops your ankle from maxing out in dorsiflexion. So the I guess the, the back, the spine of the boot has this, um, rib that kind of slides inside the top of the boot and it has a stopper there that locks out when you hit a certain point. So you can't max out your ankle dorsiflexion. So in that situation, when I OJ'd that jump, obviously it's not as bad as or as big as a supercross jump, but for myself, landed on the balls of my feet to the flat on a fourth gear jump, did not feel a single thing in my ankles. So, for you listening, what's the best thing that you can do to help ensure that you can avoid that situation? To use an example of, I'm just going to give you guys some like some targets that I like to see my clients aim for, um, and they're super simple, like just basic to ensure that like the lower shank, the calf, the ankle, Achilles complex super simple to train it in terms of strength training like we're just talking about doing some basic calf raises not a very difficult exercise but again it's probably something very commonly that i see that people just don't bother training um so it's very easy to include it into your program and level it up i've had uh i i guess what i'm looking for here is i just look for a massive imbalance so i put i'll put calf raise exercise in my inner client's program and I just look at their results what how much load can they use in a calf raise and I have a target which we'll get get to that we aim for and if there's a huge imbalance if they're quite weak in that area then that for me that's just a little bit of a sign that we perhaps need to level that up include a little bit more volume on the direct calf training to bring that area of strength up to an what I consider to be an acceptable level. So I've had a client uh, who trained with me face-to-face in the gym here in Yakandanda who was a big dude, uh, 100, 110 kilos, like ripped at 100 kilos. I mean, not, not overweight by any means. He was just a big guy. I think he was six foot eight, something like that. He could squat... 150 kilos for reps, no worries. Deadlift 200 kilos for reps, no worries at all. He played football for most of his life, so he's quite athletic. Uh, He could not... Well, he struggled to do 10 calf raises at his own body weight. So that's like not even adding any load. Like we couldn't even add any load to that. He was struggling to get up onto his tippy toes for 10 reps at his body weight. So... In that situation, again, like he was super strong at squatting, super strong at hinging. 
However, his calves were actually quite weak. He could barely do 10 bodyweight calf raises. So in his circumstance, he didn't really need to focus on getting massively stronger or putting on huge numbers onto his squat or his hinge. Again, that doesn't mean that we stop training them, but for his particular program, we bought in some extra calf volume, hitting it multiple times per week to level that area up. So that's what I mean by just having, it's not necessarily that the the body needs to be perfectly in balance or perfectly symmetrical because it's not the body. That's not how the body's built. Um, it's not meant to be perfectly symmetrical. What I'm talking about is just strength balance. So if you're super strong in one particular area or one particular range of strength, but you're quite weak in another area or range of strength, then that area that you're really weak in, that's your low hanging fruit. We want to level that up. Ideally, like in a, in a perfect world, we're super strong in all ranges of strength or ranges of motion. So some simple targets, and these are just some simple things that I ensure I include in all my clients' programs. Just absolute entry level is just being able to do a single leg calf raise with 25% of your body weight as load for at least 15 reps. So... For myself, as an example, I weigh 80 kilos. That would mean a 20 kilo dumbbell held in my hand on the same side as the leg. I'm doing the single single leg calf raise. Dropping down off a step, dropping your heel down. So your calf and Achilles is fully on stretch all the way up onto your tippy toes for at least 15 reps. Again, if you're miles away from that, from that, if you're struggling just to do that at your own body weight or you're only using a very small weight, then we just need to level that up. So the 15 rep range I find is a good rep range. It's a calf calf raise is obviously an isolation exercise. It's not a compound movement. So those types of exercises, there's less, I guess, neural drive going on to the muscle. Um, we need to to improve the strength in that area, it's, we need to do some higher volume to create that mechanical tension. So we're actually like literally going to have to take it in those isolation type movements. We literally need to take it very close to failure to recruit more muscle fibers essentially. So you can find a weight, whatever your entry point is, that you can do sort of somewhere between 10 to 15 reps is basically failure use that weight and aim to progress that weight. Once you can get 15 reps, increase the weight, keep increasing that weight until you can get 15 reps at your own body weight. Oh, sorry, not at your own body weight. That would be heavy. Uh, at 25% of your body weight as external load. So that's a basic single leg calf raise, which is gonna, when you're doing a basic single leg calf raise like that, it's gonna target the upper calf a little bit more because the knee's locked out. So the 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 gastroc obviously runs across into the back of the knee. So it's going to put the, the gastroc a little bit more on stretch. Then we also include what we call a KOT or a knee over toe calf raise. Some people call it a bent knee calf raise. Essentially, your imagine your knee is like, I guess you're in sort of a quarter squat position with your knee like at 
almost a 90 degree bend on one leg again we perform these and you're performing a calf raise from there so the knee stays bent it doesn't straighten the knee stays bent and we're performing a calf raise up onto the tippy toe so both of these like calf raise variations you're going to need your spare hand is going to be holding onto something it's not we're not trying to balance here we're trying to overload the calf so you can hold onto a squat rack or whatever you need to hold on to with your spare hand to balance yourself Again, the same target on the KOT calf raise. We want to get to be able to use 25% of our body weight um, for at least 15 reps. And that particular variation is going to target the bottom of the calf a little bit more because the knee's staying in that bent position. So that's going to load the bottom of the calf, the soleus, and that lower part a little bit more than it would in the a, a normal calf raise. So... I like to start with the standard, just straight leg calf raise. They are a little bit easier, I find, for most people. Once you can get that target, then we move on to including the KOT calf raise. And then what, like, like some people, I'll give them those exercises when they first start training with me and they're already at those targets. They're already really strong in their calves. So they don't necessarily need to do a heap of volume on both of those exercises. And then, and then we might just rotate them in and out of the program. Like once once every couple of months, we'll just rotate them in and out of the program for a few weeks just to keep a tab on them, make sure we're maintaining that level of strength with the other training that we're doing. So both those exercises, I consider them to both be like just a pretty basic entry-level target that we want to be able to perform to, to show that we've got a decent level of strength in the the lower limbs then this is where we're actually going to start to put some load and some velocity on the tendons and this is where our plyometric training starts to come into play so the good old pogo hop where if you've watched my instagram videos uh, i do them a lot uh, i have many of my clients doing them as well it's just a pogo hop is we're just bouncing on the spot so it's a reactive jump and it's a very minimal knee bend a lot of the i guess the projection of the the jump back up and the absorption of the force is coming through the ankles so it's putting a lot of load and a lot of force on the achilles and the calves the ankles etc so again super duper important part of the process in building resilience in the lower limbs is including the plyometrics in the program and obviously like your standard pogo hop when we're doing a standard like a pogo hop in that reactive nature and where it's a very minimal ground contact time that's the the intent there is to to be reactive so as soon as we feel that contact of the floor in the in our feet we're trying to explode back up. So there's very little knee bend. There is obviously some knee bend there and we're trying to explode back up. So that is putting a lot, like way more force, way more velocity through the calf and the Achilles complex than any calf raise will ever do. So they're not always going to be the starting point for some people. Like if you're if you're really, really struggling uh, and with your strength in your calf raises, etc., then pogo hops are potentially not going to be like your first first base. They're not going to be where you're going to start 
once you get like a decent level of resilience and strength into the, the lower limbs with some direct calf training, then the pogo hops is like that next level where we start to bring the velocity in. The good thing about the pogo hops is like they basically, uh, I guess, like auto-regulate themselves because when if you've never done plyometric training, especially in something like a pogo hop, you're limited by your ability to how high and how fast you can jump anyway. So when you start doing a pogo hop, it's the first time you do them, it's probably going to be more like jumping on a skipping rope, which most people have like no real problem jumping on a skipping rope, like unless there is like some lagging injury. But most people who are who aren't injured can like grab a skipping rope and will be able to jump on a skipping rope. That's probably what your pogo hop's going to look like when you first start because you're not used to trying to move explosively and you're also not going to jump very high. You're actually going to probably only jump about 100 mil or four inches high. So it's not going to be a whole lot of force. Once you train that and you get better at it, you, be, you get more reactive, you get more explosive and you can put more force into the ground more rapidly. You're going to be able to jump higher so every time you land, you have to absorb a little bit more force. So over time, and as your capacity improves, that's going to become more and more, and they're going to become more and more intense the higher you can jump and the faster you can perform that contraction when you contact the floor each time. So like I say, they do kind of auto-regulate themselves a little bit, the pogo hops, and the better you get at them, the more you train them then the more intense they're going to become. Super duper important part of the process when we're talking about, like if you go back and listen to, the, to that podcast I did the other week on the plyometrics, there's definitely, like that's one of the big reasons is why I love plyometrics is the performance aspect and that, I guess, the ability to train the nervous system to train our brain to be more reactive and re and perform those contractions like really really fast because as we all know shit happens really fast on the dirt bike sometimes so we we want to be reactive the other side is building resilience that's again that is there's two sides to the off bike training coin one is obviously performance to improve our capacity to perform on the dirt bike Two is building resilience. There's no denying that plyometrics and pogo hops uh, and, and all forms of like proper plyometrics are going to build resilience in the lower limbs. So super important to include them. Like I say, start with your calf raises, get them up to an, like an acceptable level of, of close to or above 25% of your body weight comfortably and then start working through some plyometric progressions. Super important. I think I actually forgot to mention this on that plyometric podcast I did the other week when I finished. I was like, fuck, I actually forgot to talk about that. But what a true plyometric is, it's not a box jump. So just jumping up onto a box, that's a jump. That's just called, it's a form of a jump where propelling the body up, landing on the jump, stepping back down, doing it again. Nothing wrong with that exercise. I include them in my clients' programs a lot. A true plyometric is a repetitive 
jump where we are actually having to absorb the force, absorb the impact, and then regenerate that force back up into a jump. So the pogo hop simply, like, it's the simplest. I shouldn't say, well, it is probably the sim- like It's simply a plyometric because we're hopping on the spot reactively. Remember, simple doesn't mean easy. They might look easy, but you give them a go and see how well you can perform them, how high you can actually get. Super challenging. But that is the definition of a plyometric is when we are absorbing the impact and then having to generate that force back up into a jump. And in the case of the pogo hop, we're doing it repetitively. So it's like bang, 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 like 10 reps, one after the other, where we're reactively absorbing the force and jumping back up as quickly as we can, as high as we possibly can. So a drop jump where you step off a box and then jump up, that is the, that's a true plyometric because you, you're stepping off the box having to absorb that force and then jump back up. So you can like step off a box, do your drop jump back up onto another box is an example of a plyometric. But just to be clear around that, like box jumps, they're not really, I guess they're probably doing a little bit for the calves and the Achilles, but they're not, there's no force absorption there like it we're generating the force off the floor to jump onto the box but the actual landing on the box is very very soft because we're actually landing we're landing at the same height as we're jumping to basically so there's very little force absorption like say it's a great exercise and it's a great stepping stone to more demanding plyometrics Um, and that is one of the reasons why i like to include them for certain clients is because they are a lot easier. So not everyone's just going to go straight into doing high intensity plyometrics and and absorbing tons of force. The box jump is a good um, entry level exercise to te- to learn how to jump without the intensity of absorbing a super in like super high force landing. So just wanted to clarify that on the definition of plyos, but super duper important to include them in the program when we're talking about resilience of the lower limbs then this is just like a little bonus tip that you can do to help obviously any part of the body the stimulus we give it with the stimulus we give the body creates that environment for the the tissue whether it's muscle connective tissue tendons ligaments The training stimulus provides that environment to stimulate growth. What allows that growth to occur and be facilitated is the nutrients that come into the body from the foods we eat, nutrition. So super important, collagen and vitamin C. There's heaps of research out there that shows how beneficial both of those items are for um, generating good quality connective tissue. So you can, obviously you can supplement with vitamin C, you can supplement with collagen, you can get supplemental form of collagen. The best way to get it is just from slow cooked meats. So if you're into doing slow cookers, whether it's chicken, uh, any sort of meat that's got the bone in it, like a lamb shank, something like that, 
uh, lamb shoulder, any basically any cut of meat that has the bones in there, and you slow cook that in like a slow cooker for at least eight hours in some stock, it's going to release all of that, the collagen, um, etc., from the bones and and the connective tissue. So that's one way you can you can get more of that into your nutrition, and then you've obviously got the supplemental forms that you can buy off the shelf these days. Um, so definitely not a bad thing to include some of them in your weekly nutrition as well. That's it on the calf training. Like I say, super basic to hit some calf raises a couple of times a week. If you're lacking, if you're way down on those targets, I'd be hitting them at least twice a week, two separate sessions, three sets, 15 reps, pretty simple to get them, take them close to failure um, until you, you level those up. And then don't be afraid to start working through some plyometric progressions and get some pogo hops in your life. You won't regret it. Otherwise, we'll see you all on the next podcast. Hope you all have a great week.